Hi, and welcome to the Astrology Hub podcast. My name is Amanda Poole Walsh, and I'm the founder of Astrology Hub. And for those of you in the United States who are tuning in the day this is released, July 4th, 2019, happy Independence Day. And for those of you not in the U.S., happy Independence Day as well. I mean, why not? You know, you can choose any day you want to declare independence in your life, independence from the past, independence from toxic situations, independence from habits that aren't serving you. So maybe today is that day for you. For my U.S. friends, hopefully you're enjoying some time off work, maybe with family and fireworks. And you know I have a confession to make. (laughs) There's a United States president that I am madly in love with. I've been so in love with him for so long, and I used to talk about him so much that my ex-husband actually got jealous. Can you guess which one? I'm thinking no, because he's not the sexiest of presidents, and he's not even alive. But damn, I love him. I'm talking about John Adams, the second president of our country who lived from 1735 to 1826. Years ago, I read his biography, which included original letters that he wrote to his wife, Abigail Adams, and I just fell in love with his heart. He was so idealistic and visionary and so devoted to the creation of the United States and so appreciative of his amazing wife. The whole thing was just so cool. And he is actually the one that had the vision for the way we celebrate the 4th of July today. And hold on a second. I promise this does have relevance to today's episode. I'll bring it around here shortly. So let me just read you this thing. In a letter to his wife, Abigail, the day after Continental Congress voted for independence, John said, I am apt to believe this day will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with games, sports, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other from this time forward forevermore. And I love that. Bonfires and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other from this time forward forevermore. That was his vision. And today we have those amazing fireworks. And we're even celebrating this week, this same way that he envisioned out here in Hawaii, 3,000 miles off the coast of the U.S. continent. Okay, so I know that seemed off topic, but really what the quote and John's life demonstrates is the power of our thoughts and our visions to create reality. The ability for us to engage with the quantum field and co-create and manifest our visions here on this planet. That's what the founding fathers of this country did. And that's what we're discussing here today with a very unique astrologer, Nadia Smirnova Moreau. Why do I say unique? Well, because she's not only an astrologer, but she's also a nuclear physicist. Now you don't hear that every day. And on this episode, we discuss how to consciously work with astrology and the quantum fields to initiate changes in your life. We talk about redefining exactly what free will is and isn't the microcosmic influences that are constantly shaping our lives, the planets, gravity, electromagnetics, etc., and the importance of surrender and trust in the unfolding plan of the cosmos. A little more about today's guest. Nadia Smirnova Moreau is a counseling Western astrologer with a degree in nuclear physics, as well as a writer, speaker, and teacher. Originally from the USSR, she currently practices and teaches astrology in New York. She is an author of the Physics of Astrology ebook series. So for those of you more scientifically oriented, Nadia is a true gem. 
merging our worlds of astrology and physics in such a unique and important way. So let's get to it. Go ahead and sit back, relax, and enjoy. Nadia, it is so wonderful to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining the Astrology Hub podcast. Uh, thank you, Amanda. I'm very excited and very grateful to be here. Yes, it's always a pleasure. I am so happy that our, our paths have crossed and we've had some great opportunities to connect and to introduce you to the podcast audience is really exciting. I know there's a lot of people out there who haven't heard from you yet and you have a really fascinating background. You're a scientist turned astrologer or maybe you were always both. Can you tell us about that journey and how you actually became um, a practicing astrologer? Sounds great. I started learning astrology when I was in high school and uh, I had a bad relationship with my mother. So I was trying to figure out why, because I'm a good kid. And I observed my friends who have great relationships with their parents. And I observed that people are different, parents are different. And why do I have this strange situa situation with my mother? So I started digging everywhere, stumbled upon astrology, figured out that I'm an Aries, she's a Capricorn, and we have a clash right there. And that kind of was a lightning bolt moment for me. Wow, yes, that actually describes uh, our dynamic. And then I discovered that uh, by the Chinese horoscope, I'm a fire horse, she's a rat. And that's another clash. So we're in opposition there. So I thought, oh, wow, that's uh, like two major astrological kind of situations there that both we, we don't belong together, sort of. But at that time, I didn't know that it's by design. I had to go through this challenge. But back then, I just figured out why it, our relationship is so bad, why it is not working. So that's how I started in astrology. And immediately I started observing my friends, their uh, year, um, their sign of their year and their zodiac sign. And what's the description of that sign and the dynamic. And all of that led me to like one revelation after another. Then I bought myself Linda Goodman book. When I was already in Moscow University, I entered Moscow University uh, a physics department and studying physics. And meanwhile, got myself that book. And when I read that book, I was blown away uh, again and again. And then uh, surprisingly, uh, I had a few friends in physics department, in the physics world, who also were into astrology and studying it. So we had a small group of physicists, young physicists studying astrology together. And at that time, I read a couple of books and suddenly uh, I realized I can, I can do readings. At that time, we were making charts by hand for people and the computers kicked in immediately. So I didn't have to suffer doing it by hand longer than three charts. Immediately, somebody gave me this program, very, very simple, basic program that was doing these charts for me, and I was excited, and then the process became much faster. So, uh, and suddenly, I feel like I'm a professional astrologer. And only later on, I entered Astrology Academy in Russia when I was already, like, past my, uh, I graduated from uh, Moscow University, and I had a friend who also graduated and she uh, was an astrophysicist uh, with a PhD. And we entered Astrology Academy in Moscow and found out that our teachers, some of our teachers were physicists too from Moscow University. And it was exciting, you know, like-minded people studying astrology. So, and, and that was a lot of fun. But then I immigrated to U.S. and here I am. So I came to U.S. 
And the reason why I came to U.S., the reason why I made my move was because of astrology. I discovered that for me to open up my talents and my energies, I need to relocate. So I studied uh, astrology of relocation, geo astrogeocartography. I discovered the reasons why I feel energy-wise claustrophobic in Moscow, in the place of my birth, that I can't really apply myself there. Like I have all these strange and unusual talents, but at that time, at that space time, so to speak, so I couldn't really apply myself. But then I realized through astrology that if I turn my chart, all the house system in a new place and find a place where some planets end up on the cusps of these houses where these planets have more power and my intercepted uh, planets will get on the house cusp also, then in that particular place, my energy will, you know, go haywire and I'll be able to do whatever I can, really exercise my free will, right? And I knew at that time, I calculated that it, it would take me three years to prepare my move even though I'm an inpatient Aries, once I decided I want to do it right away, but I know that the planets are not lined up for me to go and obtain a visa and move. So it took me three years. After three years, I was ready. I pre-calculated which day I have to go to the embassy. And again, being impatient, I went a week earlier and I got denied. And I regrouped and I went on the exact day when I predicted for myself and I got my visa. So that's when I moved. And so here I am. And the minute I landed, I felt that energy and I started applying myself right away and started working on my physics of astrology book uh, back then. So uh, after 20 years, I finally put it up on Amazon. Mm, wow. You know, Nadia, I love what you're highlighting in this, in your personal story is the power of place. And how, you know, if, if people are out there feeling constricted, you know, there's something in them that they want to express, but they feel constricted in all these different ways that potentially it could be where they are is not conducive to the energy that they're wanting to express. And so I, I love this real conscious choices that you made to put yourself in the right environment so that you could thrive. And has that been your experience? I mean, is it basically what you, what you thought would happen is happening for you there in New York? Absolutely. Like everything I predicted for myself and beyond. So when you predict based on a chart, right, you can only predict like general sense, this is going to be better, but you can't really predict all the little details, all the little steps you'll have to take. And the thing is, they don't matter because you have this plan, you have this goal and you have this direction like if you go in that direction right uh then everything is going to be better for you like the way my planets lined up i knew that my situation with the opposite sex is going to be much better i knew that my situation with the travel and expansion of my horizons and education and you know you jupiter stuff that is going to be better because jupiter gotten right on the cusp of a ninth house in the new place so I knew that all of that that was important to me, that was misplaced in my birth chart, as I understood, is going to be better. It's going to have an expansion. So that was um, pretty cool, pretty cool. And the interesting thing was that in my natal chart, Nep Neptune is in a ninth house. And based on the Neptune being in a ninth house, in a ninth house and trying in my Pisces planets, I figured that when I relocate, there's going to be a lot of water. 
because where I lived in Moscow, uh, it's right in the middle of the continent where we literally don't have big water. We have tiny rivers and a couple of ponds there. So no big deal. And I knew I was going to relocate somewhere where, uh, where there's going to be a lot of water. So I relocated to New York with the Atlantic Ocean here. Very nice. Okay. Now tell us, today we're talking about free will and you bring such an interesting background to this conversation with being a nuclear physicist in addition to being an astrologer. So let's start with the development of our understanding of physics. How does, how does our, the understanding of physics reaffirm astrology and how does it cultivate this idea of free will? Well, that's a mouthful question, but let's break it down. So as a physicist, I'm trying to, and again, when I say a physicist, I'm not working within the system, but I am a scientist the way of, I approach life. I used to work in the system, meaning in the professional science, but I'm still a scientist. I'm still a physicist. I just don't work for the system. I work for myself so, and for you guys. So um, as a physicist, uh, I'm trying to explain astrology from this scientific uh, physics point of view. And when I do that, and when I'm able to do that to someone or to a group of people, and when they get it, when they understand that it's not a belief system, the next question they ask is, aha, uh -huh, if there is a physical mechanism to how planets affect us, affect our brain, affect the way we think, the way we make decisions, our moods. So if that happens, then explain to me free will. So that's usually typically a second question after how astrology works. Because, because there's the feeling that we're a little bit of like a pawn then, right? Like if, if the planets are, are affecting us and pulling on us and triggering certain things, then it's like, well, what, do I actually have any choice in this? Yes, exactly. Like if there is an effect of a planet, if the moon on, uh, when it's full makes me sort of feel like dancing and going out, uh, and on a new moon I'm sitting there at home and don't feel like doing anything, right? So if the moon's so potent and affects me that way, where's my free will? Who's making the decision, the moon or myself, right? A big confusion, just like in sciences, there's big confusion. You know, once scientists start digging into free will the way they understand it. And again, in, in my group, uh, Quantum Entanglement Astrology, I started a conversation about free will a few days ago and people expressing all these different opinions. And what I observed and what I said in the group is that there is a confusion in the free will phenomena simply because th there is a mistake in the defining it. Let me put it this way. People talk about different free wills. There are different free wills. Uh, scientists, uh, if you Google free will, there's a definition of it that has to do with making a decisions out of free will without any external influence. So that definition implies that there is a moment in your lifetime when there is no external influence. But just like the vacuum and the emptiness, right, which the emptiness is not really empty, you can't find the emptiness, this is an abstract that doesn't exist. It doesn't exist in life. There is no moment in your life that nothing influence you or affect you so you can make absolutely free decision. Yeah, it would not be possible, yeah. So scientists work really hard to try and understand that particular phenomenon. They basically bang in a locked door, right? And it's a dead-end direction from where I'm standing because they're trying to spend money on exploring and conducting experiments where it's 
clear to begin with that it's impossible to even find a moment where you can make a when nothing influences you. Everything is always influenced you. Planets are the pole, you know, visual information, everything. So that's one thing. So it's a wrong definition. Uh, so the scientists, based on that, conclude that, oh, okay, don't, I think we found that there's no free will, right? So now this thought of having no free will is scary for the legal world, right? Because there is a, another phenomenon that happens with the free will, war, uh, free will in the legal world. For example, if somebody like kills somebody, right? And that person, they're now trying to figure out, is he responsible for his actions? Is he not responsible for his actions? And if he has a free will, he's responsible. He goes to prison. If he didn't have a free will and somebody manipulated him to do that, then he doesn't go to prison. He goes to a psychiatric hospital or somewhere, rehabilitation center. So that's a big question in the legal world, and they have their own definition of free will. It's a different type of free will. And if the free will that we're searching for, for example, does not exist, then in the legal system, it still exists because the legal system separates human beings functioning normal by the societal standards. So they consider it responsible adults or the human beings that function abnormal. So they consider that they're not in the right mind. So they put in a separate category. So that's not for us to decide it's society, it's the ruling kind of elite decides um, how, what's the definition. Psychologists coupled with lawyers, they decide where is the fine line between the responsible ones and irresponsible ones. So the responsible ones considering to have free will, the, the ones who are not considered responsible, they are acted because their brain was messed up or they acted because they were zombies or something. So they're not responsible, there's no free will. So we're not going to be talking about that free will. I just wanted to put it aside. It's a whole different definition and different animal. And I found that all these TED Talks and people who write books on free will, they mix them all up. That's why it's confusing. So scientific free will is incorrect also because there's a group of neuroscientists who discovered that there's no free will just because they studied the process of decision-making and they realized that the hand moves milliseconds before you become aware of your decision to move your hand or something like that. So, and again, they discovered that there is no free will in that respect. See what I'm saying? So what that means is that they were working on the premise that free will originates from our brain. It's just like saying that our consciousness originates from our brain. It's incorrect. What brain is, a brain is a, a computer virtually that receives external information, digests it, and makes a de executive decisions on what to do about that information. It, it has a department that sets a goal for something. Actually, decision-making process is the process of executing achievement of a certain goal. So you can't really talk about free will without uh, associated with decision-making, without discussing the goal. Because ultimately, decisions that we make day-to-day -day are not really important. So that means free will that we exercise every day, what to eat, where to sleep, and whom to live with are not really important. What's important is that we're achieving a certain goal that is either set by us or set by someone else for us. So now nobody talks about this, that setting a goal and achieving a goal 
is a whole other realm of exercise or free will or lack of thereof, right? So association of free will with the decision-making process is wrong. There is no free will in a decision-making process. Decision-making process is simply executive mechanism. Like if my goal is to move to United States, right? And I set that goal three years from now, right? Whatever steps I took during those three years to achieve that goal, who cares? I achieved my goal. Who cares all these steps? Who cares about my little free will exercises that I did every day, what to eat and what to wear, so I achieved my goal? The goal is achieved, right? And I know in my group, some of the astrologers said that I asked them specifically when your clients ask you this question about free will, what do you answer? So some of them said that uh, they usually refer to the past life uh, to reincarnation process and free will associated with that. And I like that. So um, I have a certain vision of what our free will that we're searching for is and what it is not. There is also a mistake that happens within both sciences and astrology community is associating predictability or unpredictability with the free will or a wild card or a human factor, as they call it. So that's another mistake as I see it. They say that, um, well, this is hard to predict. Once it's hard to predict, they start make up a reason, artificial reason why it's hard to predict. So they say, oh, there's a human factor, just like in uh, predictions of stock market. Uh, there are so many different techniques to predict stock market. And even though they're really super high-tech pre, uh, predictions uh, techniques, right, they always miss something and there is something that, you know, doesn't work. So they call it a human factor. However, it's just a name. They don't really know what they're talking about. The same thing with astrology predictions. We could be extremely good at our predictions using our psychic ability to add some more accuracy because without psychic ability you can't really be that accurate you can't there is no book out there that you can read and based on that learn how to put two into together this planet and that planet and guess exactly what's going to happen to this person it's impossible but if you add your psychic ability you can narrow it down much better like if we start looking at the big picture right we have all these planets that affect us and these planets uh, essentially have these vibrational influences on us. These vibrational influence, influences, they affect everything. In the way I teach this, the way I see it is it's a gravity and electromagnetism combined together in one gravito-electromagnetic spectrum. So it's all vibrational information. Gravity happens to be a very low spectrum of that electromagnetic spectrum of unlimited electromagnetic spectrum. So it all affects us. And when it's constantly, planets constantly moving, so they constantly affect us and they constantly, there is no situation that has to do with planets that repeats itself exactly. We have certain cycles and everything, but nothing will ever be exact. So, and because nothing will ever be exact, we can't really predict everything exact, right? But certain things are similar, so predict based on similarities. But what I'm trying to say is they're constantly moving, and the way they're moving, we have we experience in all of us, us and, and the planets, a development of something. Constant something is constantly developing, something is constantly growing, everything is growing, everything is alive in a universe. So we have a conscious alive universe, everything is happening and growing. 
And on Earth, there's not a single molecule of something that doesn't belong to a growing entity. Even stones are growing. You can Google growing stones. You're going to find that, in fact, stones are alive. They just grow very slowly. So everything is growing and every species are growing based on their own genetic makeup, right? So we are being conceived and then we are growing based on our genetic makeup. And if we are growing and if we, if I compare us to plants, so right now is a a season for gardening, right? You take a seed, you put it in the ground, you create conditions for it with the electromagnetic light and a little bit of water, which is also energy, electromagnetic stuff. And it starts creating these reactions and growing and it will be growing into the plant that you expect. It's not going to make random decisions there. Should it grow into radish or should it grow into a tulip? right? So it will grow into what you expect because you set certain conditions for it and you know that seed has a certain genetic makeup. The same with us humans. When we talk about free will, we basically think of us humans. We don't think of animals. Do animals have free will? Do plants have free will? Do stones have free will? However, when we talk about life on earth, everybody is alive. You know, they're all alive. Animals are alive. There are very intelligent animals. Maybe they also have a free will, right? We don't know. So I say that once we are talking about us as part of conscious planet, right, as a part of conscious universe, and our Earth is alive also, she might also have a free will, right? So once we talk about us in a physical form, in a physical form meaning under influence of gravity, so if we look at the big picture, if we start looking at the bigger and bigger picture, we lose the sight of free will it doesn't, the free will doesn't matter. Because once we look from the point of, say, generations of people and animals living on Earth, from this perspective, or if we, for example, zoom out from Earth and look at the Earth from space, we don't really see people. We see clouds, we see continents, we see oceans, and we see the moon and the sun that kind of constantly shake Earth um, with its gravitational dance right so from that big perspective who cares about not as free will to move from russia to us right so for us to look for free will we zoom in in into who it matters for in that respect there is no free will in a big picture however in terms of me creating something out of my life. That's what we worried about. As human beings, we want to know how do we better ourselves? How do we eat better? How do we become healthier? How do we move to other countries and make our life different? Or how do we live where we live but become better people? So that free will that concerns us, that's our free will that we're looking for. So if we focus just on that free will, then I say there is something that's outside of our physical body. So if you think that you are not just your body and your hair and your face, right? And your brain and your heart, but you are, you are much bigger than that. And you have many layers to your aura and you have uh, your soul who is a driver of your body, right? Then, then you can look for free will because it's not your brain creates the free will for you because the brain is a tool for your soul because it's the brain is designed to fulfill the goal for your body's survival. 
That's it. So if you're cold, your brain analyzes the situation and makes an executive decision for you to go to your closet and get your jacket, put, put it on. That's not exercising free will. That's just executing a goal to get yourself warm. Basically, what people commonly think of free will is actually a survival mechanism. It's either functioning well in someone or you have a mediocre uh, mechanism that basically, instead of better survival, you focus more on self-indulgence. You have to look for free will within your soul. That's when we talk about spirituality. However, even a soul has physics to it, believe it or not. Uh, soul was always considered a non-physical entity, and scientists, some of them recognize soul, some of them don't, but typically they don't. Mainstream doesn't you know, think that soul can exist or reincarnation can exist. But within the new age, we have no doubt. We know there's a soul, and we know that soul doesn't die when the body dies. And now some scientists are catching up, especially in Russia. But people are trying everywhere. Conventional scientists, I see, sometimes find ways to do interesting research and still get paid. It's rare. <laughs> Typically, they get fired if they step out of the box, but sometimes they do. So anyway, Russian scientists found that the soul has weight because they weigh the person right before the person dies and after, and it's a few grams. So there is a weight to the soul, which means it's an energetic entity that has a weight, which is pretty interesting. You know, Nadia, as you're speaking about free will and all of the truly complicated factors that most people aren't really thinking of when they're asking the question, you know, like the, the truth of it, like it's, it's almost like one of those threads you pull and you can't really get to the origination point because the more you pull, you, the more you realize it just, it kind of just keeps going. Like the question just keeps going. What's interesting for me is why we're asking the question. And I think we ask the question because we're wondering you know, how much control do we have over our reality? How much are we at the mercy of our circumstances? And if I'm hearing you correctly, the soul has essentially chosen a goal, so to speak. It, it wants to have a certain experience in this lifetime. And the nuances of how exactly that's going to play out we do have some sort of a little bit of say over, but is it really that important? Because the truth is like, if we, if, like you chose to be you and I chose to be me and you listener, you, you chose to be you, there's something that you wanted to experience that, and, and you can't really get out of that quote unquote design and be something totally different in this lifetime because you've already been planted in the ground as that seed, as a certain seed. Like I, I can't all of a sudden, if I'm an oak tree, I can't all of a, all of a sudden decide that I want to be a pine tree. Like I'm going to be an oak tree. So may as well just be the most glorious oak tree that I can be with, with the resources that I have. And so it just, it seems like there's, there's at the core of the question is a level of acceptance and trust. And it's actually really hard to verbalize for me. But I, I, I'm like, as you're speaking, there's like so many different things happening. And I'm sure it's happening for the listeners too. It's hard to verbalize because there's very subtle thing there happening. That's also very hard to verbalize for me when I'm thinking about it. But I see it clearly. 
as we uh, a little more advanced than scientists are because we've gone outside the box very far, we should understand that there is no free will in executive part of the brain. Forget about it. However, we also have a soul. And only we know that we have a soul. Scientists don't, or majority of them. Or for them, it's questionable. So that's why they get stuck discussing free will. So when we talk about the soul, that's when we can look for free will. And this doesn't mean that you live in your life and you are not responsible for hurting someone. No, you're absolutely responsible for hurting someone. Except for, I wouldn't recommend uh, combining the free will we're searching for within our soul with the everyday responsibility uh, for your actions. Responsibility is the, it's basically made up in a society for societal needs, this word, responsibility. Whether to hold somebody responsible for something or not, or whether you're responsible for something have happened or not. So responsibility should be associated with the bad or good execution of certain goals. So now, when you set a goal, right, the goal is already you're looking at a bigger picture than just executive brain, because setting a goal is done by a different part of the brain than execution of that. So don't look for free will in a decision-making every day, but setting an overall goal, sometimes they say, if you set the goal, you'll get there, right? Uh, it's uh, coaches said that say that to people who get stuck. If you get stuck in life, you don't know how you're gonna. You have these fantasies, but you don't know how you're gonna get to these fantasies. You get depressed. To get undepressed and to become productive, you need to start setting goals. That's what life coaching is based on: teaching people how to set goals. Because people can think that they have a free will and execute certain functions for, of survival. But the part of the brain that sets the goals is not functioning. So scientists too sh should look at that. Scientists should look at which part of the brain sets the goals, not, not which part of the brain makes decisions. Now, setting the goals, that's when you have to look. And again, there are small goals, big goals. And the biggest goal is you set when you incarnate in your new body or right before you're going in. You're setting a goal to experience something. When you set that goal, then uh, look at that sort of type of free will. And I say, all of these free wills are different. We don't have one type of free will. They're all different entities. So we have a free will to experience something in a new lifetime. While we're experiencing, we want to sort of, we come into this life with certain unfinished processes from previous life, unfinished issues that we never resolved, right? We bring them into this life and in this life they present to us as uh, certain little issues, problems that we need to resolve, certain hoops we have to jump over. Now that we understand that there is another goal, not just living our life and making money and feed ourselves, survival, right? Uh, survival goal has nothing to do with free wills. But when you experience certain things, when you're in a circle of people and when you form friendships and loving relationships and do something good for the people, not just for yourself, that's when you experience something that comes from the soul. So some kind of mission that you um, enlighten people about something or you heal people. So Nadia, for, for everybody out there who is thinking, okay, this is interesting and it's opening up lots of different perspectives on free will, what would you recommend to them that they do 
as something they can take away from this? You know, how can they think about free will and exercise free will within the context of what is exercisable at this point? Typically, people start thinking whether free will exists or not when they get stuck and they think of what my life means to me. Yes, I have all the money or I have this or I have that, but what's the meaning of my life? What am I doing here? So the meaning of my life, that's where you need to sort of think of free will and the meaning of your life to make your life meaningful. Because if you can't find a meaning of your life, you'll be depressed. But if you do find a meaning of your life, you'll be happy until the day you die. And if you didn't find the meaning of your life yet, then I suggest do past life regressions. I've actually gotten a lot out of those too. I can, I can vouch for that. I mean, I think you, you need the right practitioner, but it, it's pretty amazing to have that experience of yourself in another lifetime and all the insights that that brings into this lifetime. Exactly. And just so, you know, everybody understands a little clearly. So things that happen to us or things that happen because of us or our actions in life, there is no free will say in it. Consider it as like you are playing a role in the movie of your own life. Your executive brain needs to do its best, absolute best for your survival and for, you know, having a great relationship with people. Also, which turns back to your survival and partially to your uh, free will and the soul path, right? So we have to do absolutely our best. And once we do our best, absolute best and everything, then we get to exercise our free will. What do we do next? How do we entertain our soul with our next body in the next lifetime? Oh my gosh, I love that. So really, it's it's asking the question, how can I find meaning in my life? How can I find that path that I came here to live? And in asking that question, you're going to get aligned with that path. That's what's going to bring meaningfulness to you and satisfaction to you. And then you get to actually exercise free will again and choose the next situation, the next life, the next experience that you're going to have. So I I love this, Nadia. I think it's fascinating. It's so obvious that you have spent so much time and energy and research and your beautiful brain power on figuring or or helping people resolve this question because I, you know, it is literally one of the biggest questions that people ask about astrology. It's like, well, you know, if all this is happening, then what about free will? You know, if, if the planets are affecting us and if I have this chart that I'm born into, what about free will? I mean, it's just, it's such a natural question to ask. And I think what you've done is helped us like drill in, but then drill back out and get us to the point where we're asking the question that's actually going to give us the answer that we're looking for. The, the real answer that we're looking for, which is how do I find meaning in my life? How do I find purpose? How do I f- find fulfillment and satisfaction? That's really what people want. Um, so anyways, I, I just want to thank you so much for your time. It's always such a pleasure to learn from you. You bring such a rich and deep perspective to our astrological conversation. And for that, I am very grateful. And so again, just thank you for your time. It's been wonderful to be here with you today. And it was fun, fun conversation. Thank you for all your questions. <laughs> I have so many more. Trust me, we, we could spend hours and days, but I know it's a juicy topic. It is a juicy topic. All right, Nadia, thank you so much. And we will look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. I hope that discussion sparked some new insights for you. And something happened at the end of that conversation that sparked a line of inquiry that I'm going to take you on coming up soon. In a few weeks, we're going to continue the exploration of astrology and past lives. 
with a woman who's practiced astrology for over 20 years and has done over 10,000 past life regressions. Her name is Patricia Walsh, and she is amazing. If you're interested in evolutionary astrology and past lives and how your current incarnation is a reflection of and a thread that pulls through other lifetimes and how understanding that can actually help you live a better life in this life, this coming episode is a must listen. Okay, and this episode is going to be released on July 25th. It's going to be episode number 36. And next week, we'll be featuring another incredible astrologer. I totally fell in love with her. She's amazing. Her name is Jessica Lanyadu. In this episode that will be released next week, we talk about real relationships, quote unquote, and astrology. It is so yummy. You're going to love it. Okay, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in, for being a part of our community, and for making astrology a part of your life. I so appreciate you, and I can't wait to catch you on the next episode. Are you ready to learn more about astrology, take your work with the moon cycles to the next level, and experience what it feels like to be supported by a thriving community of like-minded and like-hearted souls? then we have the place for you. Join Astrology Hub's Inner Circle, a global community dedicated to spiritual growth, lunar forecasts, and mastery classes with leading astrologers. Simply go to astrologyhub.com slash inner circle to learn more and join us today. Reconnect with your childlike wonder of the universe and rediscover your place and purpose in it all. Join our inner circle today. Visit astrologyhub.com slash inner circle and get in our inner circle today. Hi, this is Chris Kaplan, the producer of the Astrology Hub podcast. This episode is over, but check the show notes for links to products and services you've heard about during this episode. And if you enjoyed our show, please subscribe and rate using the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcasts.